Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. Uh, today, I am Mark Viber, as always, <laughs> and with <laughs> and with me again is Matt Quest. And, hey, what's up? Yeah, and we have some special returning guests: Pixar animators Chris Chua and Austin Madison. Hello. All right. That means hi in in uh, Scottish, by the way. That's Which how is they also say English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then just right. get. In case you guys haven't listened to the podcast before, it's we focus on the entire world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series from the past or present, and whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion, if it is animated, it is up for us to discuss. Uh, you guys can check out our website at animationfascination.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at animatedpodcast. And you can still be the first person ever to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. And to finish out your social networking uh, trifecta there, you can like us on Facebook just by searching for Animation Fascination. But getting into the show now, uh, new releases that are coming out next week on Blu-ray are Treasure Planet and Home on the Range. Uh, What an exciting combo. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Tour de Force animation, both of those. Things. I'm actually I'm excited for Treasure Planet because I did like that movie, but I've never actually seen Home on the Range, but I've never heard anything good about it. So <laughs> the original, a little trivia: the original title of that picture was uh, "Sweating Bullets." Oh, nice. Uh, so what what do you guys think about these two films? I, I I'm like you. I haven't seen Home on the Range, but uh, I remember really digging. Uh, Glenn Keane's animation on uh, Treasure Planet. It was really cool to see him kind of like embrace a uh, 2D, 3D hybrid for the silver character. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't seen uh, Home on the Range either, but I, I love uh, Joe Mosier's designs on that. Um, you know, I, I have the uh, the Art of book, and uh, I flip through that every now and again. This is, this, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his stuff, uh, for his design work on that film. Yeah, Treasure Planet, I think it's going to look pr- pretty good on Blu-ray, too, mm-hmm. out, of, out of both of those movies. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I haven't seen either of them, but I'll have to look up, uh, like Chris was saying, that uh, art book, so I'm really down with uh, checking out what's going on with that. Cool. All right, yeah, so we'll, we'll have a full review for those next week, but just kind of touching on those this week. Uh, but now we're going to get into our recommendations for... Uh, anything that is new that any of us have liked that we've seen recently. So we're going to start with Austin and Chris's recommendations. Uh, I have been keeping, uh, keeping abreast of, uh, the new Sherlock, uh, episodes. Yeah. We're actually just finished watching season two. Uh, it's the Stephen Moffat one. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that stuff. Yeah. It's a great, uh, it's, great show. It's amazing. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it yet, definitely check that out. And also, Korra, the the new Nickelodeon show that kind of takes place in the same universe as um, the Avatar: Last Airbender series, which I am a huge fan of. Uh, Korra is absolutely amazing. Uh, really great fight choreo- choreography, great animation, really really charming stuff. Uh, highly recommend that. There's four four episodes into it at the moment. Uh, I can't wait to to finish it up and just kind of watch it back to back. They're all available on nick.com. So check it out. Nice. Nice. 
Yeah, I would recommend. Uh, my friend Alex actually has a show coming out on the Disney TV network, um, uh, Gravity Falls. And uh, I've been like a huge fan of Alex's since like I met him in high school. And uh, it's really exciting to see a guy like him with a very specific style getting a TV show. Um, he's very quirky, weird, um, really, really clever guy. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I think they just had their pilot uh, last week, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to kind of keep tabs on what happens with that show. Cool. What was that called again? Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. You can see, I think there's like trailers out there and stuff, and they have like a website and everything. So I don't know if they have like full episodes online yet. Oh, cool. You met? I did check out um, something on Vimeo the other day, and it's called, I linked it here in the Google Doc. Maybe we could post that up somewhere. Um, it's called uh, Protejohn, and it's a stop motion piece uh, done by a student, and it's really cool. So if you guys want to check that out, I suggest it's really neat. The timing's really cool, and some of the effects that the guy does is pretty neat. <clears throat> it's called Protejohn. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'm gonna have to second uh, Chris's recommendation for Legend of Korra. I, I haven't ever seen the entire series for Avatar: The Last Airbender, but I started watching the the Korra series, and I liked that a lot. So I'm gonna have to go back watch that, and then keep watching this as well because I liked the animation on it. And I kind of like the writing for it and whatnot. So yeah, how far into it are you now? Oh, well, I mean, I watched, I watched the the I think I watched the first three episodes of Korra. Oh, okay, and then I so see- you, you you've seen the the air air bending uh, or the pro bending tournament stuff? Yeah. Whoa, guys! No spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. No spoilers. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and then I've seen maybe like four or five episodes of Last Airbender, but I'm gonna have to go back and watch all of that. Oh yeah, the Airbender's awesome, man! I've seen the whole thing like twice, the whole cartoon series. Yeah, I mean, and definitely after watching that live action movie, the. <laughs> That was made, and any any version of the Last Airbender is definitely better than that live action. I, I was pretty disappointed in the actual live action. The cartoon series is just yeah. rocks. <clears throat> yeah. Well, they pretty much they deviated a lot, right? I mean, I I never really saw the cartoon series, but I started watching the uh, the film on a plane, and I'd rather I actually just opted to stare out the window instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more entertaining. Yeah, yeah, they didn't like the main character wasn't as like uh, um, animated as it is in the uh, actual cartoon series. So it kind of I don't know the seriousness took away from the whole overall feeling of the show. Mm. I think. Right. <clears throat> All right. Well, those are the rec- our recommendations for this week. So now we're gonna get into the new animated trailers that have been released. Uh, the first one we're gonna do is Hotel Hotel Transylvania of. Any of the three of you guys got to see this trailer yet? No. The designs look cool. Yeah. I actually, I have seen the Transylvania uh, trailer. It looks pretty rad. I don't want to pull any spoilers on anybody, but uh, it's uh, was it a hotel for monsters. And yeah. um, I think in the, well, in the trailer, you see it's like, uh, you know, like the first human it enters the the monsters like hotel thing so it's good it's a pretty good plot point you know we'll see how it turns out yeah when it finally gets released 
What I thought was kind of interesting about it is that it's essentially the Adam Sandler's Happy Madison crew of people doing an animated movie because he's doing Dracula's voice and then Kevin James is Frankenstein in the movie. Andy Samberg is doing a voice in the movie. And then I believe David Spade is doing a voice too. So, yeah. Uh, I know I know the next one all four of us have seen is was the teaser trailer for Monsters University. Yeah. <laughs> what do you get? What do you guys think about this new teaser for trailer for Monsters University? I'm stoked. I uh, it's it's nice to see. To me, it really kind of captures the old kind of Pixar humor. Um, it's been interesting working on Cars Two, Brave, and Monsters University back to back because th- all three have completely different styles. So it kind of keeps you on your toes as an animator. You know, you go from one really cartoony universe to a very um, kind of more realistic, nuanced performance, uh, and then over to like a total, um, you know, college comedy. Uh, and you're trying to reinvent characters that you know really, really well, but kind of bring something new to the table. So um, yeah, it was just it was exciting to see, you know, Mike and Sully back on the big screen. I think we both saw it at the at the Brave Rap party. So right. we saw it on the big screen for the first time, which is how you should see it. And it was it was exciting. Everybody it got a real big cheer and. Uh, from the old as well as the new Pixarians. So, yeah, everybody's excited for the movie, for sure. Yeah, I'm actually not on the film yet. I, I don't go on it until uh, later this summer, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to just getting into that world and, and working with those characters. Um, I mean, I, I'm such a huge fan of, of the original. Um, and from from everything that I've heard, you know, the, the screenings that are kind of happening internally, People are really jazzed about it, and yeah. you know, I think the story is almost locked. And I've heard, I've heard nothing but great stuff, so uh, I'm totally this is also excited. Our, yeah, this is our first director who has done uh, more directing work outside of Pixar than inside. He actually has a, a short film called uh, "The Imagination Train Station." Dan Scanlon does, and uh, nice. you can probably hunt that out, hunt that down. I'm not sure if it's out online somewhere, but it's totally hilarious. A lot of the actors in the movie are just people from Pixar. Well, um, it's called Tracy, right? Oh, is that what it's called? Tracy? Yeah, yeah. Tracy. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. But, it, I mean, it, it deals with, uh, well, you, you guys will see. Just look it up. It's, it's friggin' hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is, is the host of a show called The Imagination Train Station. That's right. It's kind of a take on Mark Kistler, and I think his is just called The Imagination Station in real life. Um, but uh, actually, one of our supervising animators on Monsters University plays the character Tracy's son. So <laughs> so they've uh, they already worked together in live action and now Monsters University is their second project together. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I'll definitely try to look that up and I'll post a link to it in the the rundown for the show. Uh yeah, I I liked it. Unfortunately, I was telling Chris a few minutes ago is that when I went to go see Brave last night, they didn't have the teaser for Monsters University in front of my showing which kind of upset me. I mean, I got to see it online, but I would have liked to see it on the big screen. Oh, yeah, bummer. What did you think about it, Matt? I thought it was really cool. Um, Was it with their Mike uh, Wazowski? It does have, like, that old sense of, like, the Pixar humor, like Chris was saying again, when, uh, you know, like, they turned the lights on, and he was like the disco ball. I thought that was great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I liked that... The, there's four different uh, versions released, kind of with uh, the differentiating lines that Mike said. 
Mm-hmm. So if you haven't, if you've seen one of them, you t- go watch the other three, and then you'll get a nice little laugh out of the other lines that Mike said. But yeah, those are the new trailers we had to talk about this week, and then we're gonna get into the news. Uh, congrats to you guys on Brave being the 13th straight number one Pixar film to be the number one box officer opener. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's pretty good streak. Great to hear. Yeah. Keep it going next year. Yeah, it's funny. We, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas have this uh, tradition that they started, I think, on like E.T. Uh, oh no, it would have been on Star Wars because I think it was the first of, the, of their big films where. Um, George Lucas thought it would just bomb at the box office, so they took a trip to Hawaii. And now their tradition is every weekend that they have an opening film, they go out and, and go to Hawaii. And totally do they, still, they still do that? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure they just have houses in Hawaii now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, like it's, and then they, they try to stay away from the reviews. Of course, now, you know, it's not the 70s. Now you can be in Hawaii and you can just check on your iPad and see how the reviews are doing. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was just in, in Tahoe this weekend with some friends, and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to look at the reviews or box office or anything, but I couldn't help but get text after text and, and some emails from you guys even, <laughs> like on congratulations and stuff like that. So that was really cool. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, you guys got to check out the, this uh, early kind of Disney animation for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit that they released online? I, I did see that. That was really, really interesting. No, I missed out on that. I'll put a link in it. You guys can check it out later if you want to. But it's kind of cool. I mean, it's it's really rough, but it was it's cool to see it put together like that. And I think it's only maybe like seven or eight seconds. Right. But it was kind of cool to see this like preliminary animation to Oswald before Mickey even existed. And you can kind of see like hints of Mickey's characteristics in Oswald. So. Did they say anything about Ubi Works in that? Uh, well, it's just like a... I think in the the post they were talking about that and about how they just got the Disney just got the rights back to Oswald after Universal had held on to it for such a long time. But like obviously now he's like in Epic Mickey video games and so and they're trying to bring Oswald back into the the Disney consciousness of everybody. Cool. Yeah, I wonder like how much cuz I know like Mickey Mouse was just as much Ubi Works's creation as it was Walt Disney. So I wonder if the same is true of Oswald, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, Oswald's pretty cool, and I, I enjoy playing the Epic Mickey game, so it's cool to see Oswald getting back to the, the gear of all the Disney goings on. Uh, and then the next thing... Actually, Matt, did you get to see that animation? I didn't, unfortunately. All right. Uh, the next thing we have is six <laughs> scenes from... Pixar films that we love by Film School Rejects posted this. I'm just gonna kind of run through them to see what you guys think. If you, you guys are, if these are some of your favorites as well. Uh, the first one is the Barracuda attack that opens up Finding Nemo. Mm. Uh, the second one is Wally and Eve's space dance from Wally. Uh, the, the third one is Carl and Ellie's life in that first 10 minute segment of Up. And then meeting Anton Ego and Ratatouille, and then the plane sequence in The Incredibles. Oh, and then the restaurant. I worked on one of those sequences. The it's almost re- all about you, isn't it, Austin? <laughs> it is about me, man. I made it into a list. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Well, the the Ratatouille. I'm kind of dis- I'm kind of disappointed they didn't uh, include the the dash uh, sequence in there. Yeah, 
Wow, uh, that's, that, that's probably one of my favorite uh, moments. Pixar yeah. moments. Wait, is there any Toy Story moment on that list? No, they have, there's Restaurant Mayhem and Monsters, Inc., Plane Sequence, Incredibles, Ratatouille, <clears throat> Up, Space Dance, and Wally and Nemo. Yeah, I would say for me it's the uh, the, the uh, gas station sequence from uh, Toy Story when it's. Oh, it, I mean, because that whole movie you have all these characters, and that's the first moment of. First of all, it's the end of Act One. It's the tilt, right? That's where our story gets going. But it's really just Woody and Buzz, and it's character stuff. And it's hard to think of another animated film actually where the moment of truth and the moment when the story begins is just a true character moment between you know, our protagonist and arguably Buzz Lightyear is our antagonist, right? He's the one that's in, in the way of Woody's goal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that one would definitely be my number one Pixar. Matt, what's what's your favorite scene from a Pixar film? Um, I would definitely say uh, probably the Toy Story one again. And oh, what else are we? You're putting me on the spot right now. This is not fair. <laughs> They're all so good. They're all so great. Yeah. You know, my runner-up would have to be uh, when Shrek meets Fiona in the uh, tower. Oh, wait, no, shit. Sorry, wrong. Wrong, wrong <laughs> studio. Sorry. Dude, I you forgot Scrat, man. Scrat <laughs> <laughs> is my favorite Pixar character. But uh, no scene right. in particular. I think I got it now. It's For me, one of my favorite scenes is the very end of my Sully opens the door when Mike gives him that last shard of, like, uh, the door piece. And he nice. opens the door and he says, oh, boo, yeah, like that. That's yeah. my favorite moment right there. Uh, so I have actually a couple pieces of trivia about that. Oh, yeah? Which you probably you guys probably already know, but the animator of that shot is Pete Docter, the director. Nice. Oh, really? Of Monsters U. Yeah, he, he insisted on directing that. Uh, he also directed the last shot of Up as well. Nice. And the other thing is that there was actually several versions of that scene Early on, they had one where uh, you see Mike or uh, Sully and Boo playing together. You have there was even a version where like you see like cuts of them, you know, over time and see that they spend you know lots of time together. And ultimately, mm -hmm. it was like you don't you know as a filmmaker you don't want to tell the audience four. You want to tell the audience two plus and let them provide the other two. And yeah. let their kind of engage their imagination more, and, and let them. I mean, that's what Wally's all about, right? Like, mm -hmm. Wally is an appliance, and you project a personality onto him, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and over over the course of the film, he he develops more and more of a personality, obviously. But uh, uh, that was the real genius of Monsters Inc. was having the faith in the audience that you you could have that kind of bittersweet ending, and you didn't have to show them hugging or anything kind of cheesy like that. So, and it almost works better that you don't. You don't see who, yeah, because then you kind of just project onto it. Whatever ending you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my one of my favorite scenes is the the scene from Toy Story three where all the toys are in the trash compactor, and they kind of just all accept that they're about to die. And like I I kind of had this room for me because those those little golden books are released like a month before the movie comes out. And I had, I had picked one up to get for my son, and I happened to see that in there when I was, like, skimming through it really quick. Mm -hmm. But that scene still works just as as well for me, even if knowing that they were going to be okay. And, like, it still got dust in the room during that scene. Yeah, yeah. But, 
That's definitely one of my favorite. In the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, there's someone cutting. Someone cutting onions. <laughs> That's definitely one, one of my yeah, favorite scenes concept, from. The concept behind that scene was definitely like uh, you know, when they made Toy Story three, they you know, in, in story development, they were talking about okay, well, what's the end of our movie? What are we trying to say? And where can we possibly take these characters that they haven't gone to? And the question was, well, what what is toy hell? Let's uh, you know, let's really put them to the worst possible. You know, is it being thrown away? Well, kind of. But what what does thrown away mean? Well, the end of the end of the line for a toy is literally a furnace, and it's very Dante's Inferno. Very, um, you know, kind of taps into without saying it. It kind of taps into our kind of base nature, and we all know what you know those flames mean. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this is this is almost the afterlife for toys. So. Yeah. And like literally when the claw comes in, it's like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? They look up and there's this bright shining light. And so it's very, um, the whole scene has a very uh, epic and almost like spiritual tone to it. And I think that's why it works so well as the end of a trilogy. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's definitely up there amongst my favorite scenes from all the Pixar movies. Yeah. Uh, and kind of going back to Monsters University, they released two things, the uh, concept art for it, which... When they released the high-res ones, I'm glad they did, because now I have two new awesome wallpapers for my computer. But there's, <laughs> there's the the one of Mike and Sully standing in front of the gate for Monsters University. It's beautiful. It's just at their backs, and it's got all this nice detail, like on the opening gate and whatnot. And then there's the other one of them in, like, the, I don't know, like the courtyard or whatever for the the college. And Mike's got his backpack on, and Mike's headed, the, I mean, and Sully's headed the other way. You can kind of see one of the the buildings architectures kind of looks like a monster, almost in the same way as like all the buildings and architecture and the Cars movies were made to look like cars and stuff like that. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff like that in uh, Monsters University. I mean, I've I've just kind of been you know peeking here and there in, in our on our internal website where you can kind of view all the sequences and it's like, man, that is a great building design. It's just monster monsterified. I guess is that a word? It's monsterified <laughs> enough to the point where you're like, oh yeah, it totally looks like one of those I Ivy League buildings, but it's you know it's got like, well you'll see, but it's it's really great seeing that world again, um, and kind of getting the Pixar monsters ink twist to it. Yeah, I know too. There was a lot of conversation about you know are we going to have Billy Crystal and John Goodman back? You know, can we believe? I mean they're what they're like 15 years older uh, and they're supposed to be 15 years younger right like yeah. in the in the story yeah, yeah. so it's a 30 year difference right there it, totally but you know it totally works and i think it helps that they're monsters so you kind of uh buy that they would have you know john would have this kind of gravelly voice but billy crystal especially is just so energetic and so funny and uh uh, I don't want to ruin anything, but you'll see. He actually has quite a range. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why they cut four different versions of that teaser was because, you know, he's kind of back to his old self, like just doing take after take of just really funny lines. And it's like, man, this is gold. You know, we got to use all this. And it's like, why don't yeah, we? Yeah, I guarantee you, like, there was, there was probably one scripted line and then the other three. There's probably 17 that are unusable. <laughs> like, <laughs> the District Corporation. And then there's those three gems that, you know, I'm sure were Billy's, you know, Billy's whole thing. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd always love to see, like, I, I know that, like, Disney would never release it, but, like, a cut 
or like extras. I mean, since extras are unrated, but I don't. They probably still want to put it on the the features. I'd like to see like these alternate lines that aren't maybe yeah. good for like kids to hear, but <laughs> they'd still be funny to hear Mike Wazowski say and whatnot. Yeah, because I remember at one point I, they were going to release the PG-13 version of the movie Robots because of all these alternate lines that Robin Williams had had for his character in that, and that never went anywhere. But that would I thought that would have been cool to see a PG-13 version of that movie with just those alternate lines. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it, it comes down to a question of you know uh, are is it about the story or is it about this person going off and and just being funny? So. You know, at a certain point, it's like, I'm kind of glad that, you know, I just want to see deleted scenes, you know, in a pile on the Blu-ray. And I just want the character in the movie to be very pure. And like, I'm not a huge fan of like director's cuts. It's it's like, you know, I, I want there to be a definitive version of the movie. Right. And like, that's the story. Otherwise, yeah. you know, if I say, oh, I love, you know, I love Blade Runner. Someone else will be like, what, what version? <laughs> or Brazil. Brazil is the classic, the Terry Gilliam film Brazil. You could say you like Brazil, and that means one of five different things. You know? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Brazil. To... Some, one of them is good. <laughs> <laughs> I can recommend Take your pick. Brazils. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think for Brazil, it is the original that is good, but I, I don't even know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, kind of moving from Monsters University, we're going to start going into Brave now. There was one story about this, this woman, her last name was Anderson didn't really like the way that Mer- uh, Merida is portrayed in the movie, apparently. Uh, she wrote, Merida is as fiery as they come, rebellious, quick to yell, obstinate, easily offended, and Pixar isn't shy about associating these traits with her. When Eleanor, Merida's mother, trusts her up in a satiny dress to parade her in front of suitors, she's, she not so subtly puts Merida's hair under wraps, too. Eleanor's hair is dark and straight, befitting or by the book housewife priorities and she said she has she basically refers to her as a fiery redhead from like pop culture and she refers like to ginger spice and <laughs> joan holloway from you know G- ginger spice was actually a huge inspiration for us <laughs> you know we looked at a lot of ginger spice reference for that you know it's very apparent hopefully <laughs> performance uh and she talks about joan holloway from Mad Men, jessica rabbit and then obviously the other disney redhead uh, Ariel from The Little Mermaid. So is she saying she doesn't like yeah, Merida being a redhead? I don't know. She kind of she kind of is a flip flop. She goes back and forth with whether or not she thinks that she's a role model or like a stereotype. So I'm wondering what you guys' thoughts are on that. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, uh, I mean, you know, I I think. Uh, you know, it's good that she has her own point of view, but I mean, definitely, I, I think we really worked hard um, while we were developing the character and animating the character of always trying to kind of dig deeper and make sure that she didn't become a stereotype. Um, you know, in terms of her having red hair, you know, uh, just her being Scottish anyway, there are a good, you know, majority of Scottish people who, who do have red hair. So it just kind of, it, you know, it, I think it visually also she she kind of has red hair to to single her out and really make her, uh, you know, a, a striking, you know, lead character. But I, I don't think 
I, I think we did a, a generally a pretty decent job of making her feel like an impetuous kind of teenager. You know, I, I think the all the qualities that she's talking about, about her, you know, seeming kind of um, rebellious and, and all that. I mean, I, I can identify with that because I was kind of like that when I was a teenager and, um, you know, always kind of wanting my own way and, and really trying to rebel against my parents and like, um, not wanting to do what they said, even even if kind of in the back of my head I knew they were right, it was always like, well, I want to do it my way, you know. And uh, I think I, I think we did a pretty decent job of kind of getting that across in Merida. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think you guys she, did too. Yeah, if, if she felt that it was a, a little stereotypical, um, you know, I, that's that's her point of view. I, I respect that. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? Um, I don't think she was very stereotypical, stereotypical at all. I mean, it seemed like a very original character. I mean, she really like, she really stood out as the main character with that red hair of hers. So it really uh, brought through that you know she was the lead in control um, of movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you too because I thought she was the. Another great Pixar character, the first female lead for any of the films, and I think she's a she's actually a better like role model for than what she thinks would be like a stereotype because she shows like you have to like fight for what you believe in and not just succumb to traditions that everybody else may think is the best for you and you have to do what's best for yourself. So I thought I thought that came across pretty well in the movie. So Ginger's for the win. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I've also I've I've gotten a lot of uh, comments from from redheads, especially redhead girls, and uh, it's funny. Like um, they are kind of a minority. I mean, they're like I think it's like one in a hundred people are redhead, and yeah. they really do love like when there's like a red a strong redheaded character. We happen to have uh, five strong redheaded characters in the film, <clears throat> and. Uh, <laughs> It also comes from uh, Brenda Chapman, who who wrote and, and created the story, and I know it's very much uh, uh, supposed to be kind of a, a biography of her and her mother, and so if that, uh, you know... Well, her and her, her daughter. Oh, yeah, right. it was, yeah, her and also her and her mother. It's like her, she definitely associated with both kind of characters, I think. Um, but, uh, so, and I, I know, like... Uh, you know, Brenda's got this beautiful, long, wavy hair, so it's not quite red like Merida's, but there was that feeling of, you know, um, kind of that autobiographical nature. So to say it's stereotypical, it's actually w like one real person <laughs> that it's based <laughs> on. So you'd have to take that up with Brenda and her mom and daughter. <laughs> and just in, in terms of performance-wise, I mean, I, I remember, you know, being in dailies and uh, there, you know, animation uh, tends to be kind of uh, looked at as a boys club and I know on Brave they they really tried hard to kind of like whenever we'd show a shot where we were animating either Eleanor or Merida to kind of you know look at the the women in the room and the women animators and say well you know does this feel natural or you know even when we're at our desks you know I'd go and ask um, one of the female animators you know does this feel natural or would would you would you see her doing this and you know, we we did defer a lot to um, the, the female contingent in the room, and I think it it's um, you know it, I think it was a good thing to do because they really would 
would say, oh, you know, she'd, she'd probably do this with her hair or flick this, you know, her head this way instead of that. Or, you know, clearly a guy would only do that. So why don't you have her do this? And I think a lot of the... Yeah, oftentimes too, that was like to the chagrin of our simulation department, right? Who had to handle yeah. the hair and the dress, and the, you know, we would just be pretty much animate a straightforward scene, and the ladies, like, let's say, Merida's poking her head around a tree. The ladies would say, "Oh, well, her hair would get in her eyes. So you have to have her with one hand, kind of push her hair back. Or if she's going into a run, she can't just run; she has to hike up, you know, her her skirt." and We'd be like, oh, that's great. That's a great note. And the simulation department would be pulling their hair out going, do you really, really want to touch her hair? Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, because the simulation leads would be there, too, because then, you know, they usually would have to ask them, uh, you know, would this be too hard to do? And then you'd sometimes you'd have Mark throw a note like, I just have her grab her dress or, you know, grab her hair, this part. And you could hear like, oh, like in the corner <laughs> of the room. It's like, is that going to be hard? Yes, but uh, if it's appropriate, then yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, I have to compliment her, the animation under her too, because that that looked great and throughout the film and like whenever I get there's a real big close of it, it just uh, looked real and it stood out and how vibrant it was and with the 3D it was even cooler to see it like that. Yeah, I know the uh, I know I know the hair had its own set of physics to to get that realistic look it's interesting when you tell the computer here's a set of physics for the world and it does all its math oftentimes it actually doesn't feel right you know there's this there's what's realistic and what's believable and at pixar we always shoot for believable and so mm -hmm. that's why you can't just have a computer program figuring out physics you have to you can start there that's a great foundation but you ultimately have to give it to simulation artists to go over a pass and Almost every one of the shots I know, there was tinkering with the hair, and you know, there's the virtual computer equivalent of like safety pins all over her hair, <laughs> so that wow. it, it literally is a performance. It has its own character. It blows when it needs to. The hair is one <clears> of the uh, amazing unsung supporting actors that you'll see like in an animated film. It's just uh, really kind of a star, and it's in every single shot. So. Oh, totally. Yeah, I don't think there was one shot where it was just like, okay, it's out of the box, it's good, perfect, let's finish it up. It, I mean, it was always like, well, can we have it do this on this frame? And it's like, okay. Yeah, how, how does the hair feel here? What's the motivation of the hair? It, <laughs> it's rebellious. No, it's sad. It's a sad hair day. No, I don't think it ever got down to that. But it, <laughs> one, one, one interesting thing, though, is like um, I, I heard uh, the simulation people talking about it was they actually had to turn down the gravity just a little bit on the, the hair uh, simulation just because, you know, curly hair just tends to be a little bit more bouncy. So they, they turned down the, the gravity just to, just a touch to kind of give it that extra, you know, uh, volume and buffiness, I guess. So there's another little bit of brave trivia for you listeners. Very cool. Very cool. There will uh, be a quiz at the end of the podcast, so I yes. have to notes. <laughs> uh, kind of segueing a little bit from Brave for a second is uh, India's uh, kind of bootleg or ripoff release, I guess you would call, maybe call it, Kiara the Brave. Uh, they, which when when I used to work at a, at a video store, I would remember like they movies like this would get released all the time, like at the same time as other films and be like very similarly titled. And I always thought 
I didn't. I never liked that because it's just basically trying to make money off the the bigger film that's coming out and uh, the the maybe not so smart uh, customers coming in to rent it are gonna think it's like maybe they'll think that that movie is actually the movie that's in theaters right now for some reason. But the saying all that because it like you said it's been it's been going on since we were kids you know when you had Little Mermaid and the Littlest Mermaid and Lion King and Lion Duke. <laughs> And I, like some of them, there's snakes on a train that came in. That's amazing. It's probably a better <laughs> film. Yeah, Transmorphers. Wow. Uh, Again, that one's probably a better picture. <laughs> the Terminators. They just added an S. Wow. I and, think that's part of the series, isn't it? Isn't that part of like the official franchise? No. Yeah. It's, just, uh, but... it's, it's kind of like when you go to the the uh, the grocery store and you're like, man, where's my Dr Pepper? And there's like the Mr Pib there. Over yeah. the Mr Pib's okay. It's when you get to like Senior Spicy. <laughs> like, it's like, damn it, this is this this isn't Dr Pepper. What the hell did I do? <laughs> this hasn't what even have I got myself into now. Dr Pepper went through seven years of soda school, and you can taste it. He has a doctorate, man. Uh. What always blew me away was like in the cereal aisle when you had cereal yeah. that just came in like trash bags with a clown on it. It wasn't even like the company couldn't even box the stuff. Oh yeah, the <laughs> the, the big bagged cereal. Total ripoff. Yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, have any of you guys gotten to see the trailer for Kiara the Brave? I've seen it. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, I've How seen it, it and I will never forget it. Oh, amazing, of course. Would you have been proud to work on Kiara the Brave? <laughs> But I've been proud to have worked on it. I, I, think, um, I think there's a bootleg Chris Chua that actually worked on it. Man, my, my evil clone. <laughs> I think I would have chalked it up to experience. How, how's that for an answer? Okay. That's a pretty well, good I'll say my... this, though. Our, our director, Mark Andrews, worked on Quest for Camelot. And that's like not much better than most of these. And he'll, he'll own up to it. He'll be like, yeah, Quest for Camelot is a turd, man. It's But it's like... <laughs> He well, learned. did you see? Did you see his interview uh, at Google? <laughs> no. he, he actually talks about that, and he's like, "Don't see it." Yeah. <laughs> it's oh my God. Yeah. Mark's great. He's, he's yeah. Amazing. So I mean, you know, like there's there's a lot of animators out there who who do you know like it's a business, it's an industry, and you know sometimes you do find yourself you know working on those sort of pictures, and uh, there's a lot of guys at work who um, they come away with actually great stories like about what it's what, what it was like to work at uh, you know warner's at the time and work for work on quest for camelot or you know one of these other uh, balto or some some picture like that so yeah. and if, if anything it gives you both a job and experience that you can bring yeah. to another film that you work on not, not every job is going to be the one that you want you know and i mean it it's it's just speaks uh, volumes about a person who can take an experience like that and just be like, you know what? I know this is not the best thing in the world, but I, I'm going to do 110 uh, yeah. percent and and just learn from it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're that much better than um, as, as, a, as an artist, if you can do that. You know? I think another point, too, is like uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening to this podcast who feel like maybe that is their job right now. Like maybe, you know, they're not yeah. animating exactly where they want to. But, you know, look, like Mark Andrews came from Quest for Camelot, and he, at the time, they knew. They knew this was not going to be a good picture. And there was versions of Quest for Camelot that were awesome in the storyboards. And, of course, you know, it got watered down. But the point is that uh, there was a lot of talented people that worked on that film. We have fellow animators who worked on it. 
So, you know, if you feel like you're not where you need to be, like look around and look at the people you're working with and I'm sure they're feeling the same way and just enjoy working with those people and maybe take that time to create side projects with them or learn from each other. And those people, even though it's a project that you see as temporary or a job that you see as temporary, some of those people, it's a small industry, man. And some of those people might be people you work with the rest of your life. So have a good attitude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, I worked on Shark Tale, man. Yeah. That's all I got to say. So <laughs> chalk, chalk it up to experience. Absolutely. Learn, learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely worked on a couple of the Fisher Price shorts and, you know, some of those and some of the people that I've worked with on there are just, you know, complete, you know, great people to work with. And they've moved yeah. on and done, you know, feature films. So it's just it really is experience. Definitely. So India has a good thing to teach everybody. There you go. Uh, moving moving from our news, we're finally going to get into the main topic for the podcast now. Uh, starting off with the short film that was in front of Brave, La Luna, which I had been hearing good good things about this since since last year, and I was I've been excited to finally get get to see it last night, and I ended up really enjoying it. Thought it was beautiful. I, I liked the use of the 3D in it, and I just liked the the, the lighting textures and whatnot in it, and mm-hmm. thought it was it was great, and it definitely deserved its nomination for best animated short at this past year's Oscars too. Yeah, that was interesting. We actually, I actually worked on that one, and that was wrapped. I mean, I worked on that before I worked on Cars Two. Oh man! Oh wow! So that was done. That was done for quite a while, and I know our director uh, Enrico was just like, I mean, you make a movie, you want it out, you want to share it with people, and mm-hmm. he had to like hold on to that for a whole half a year, and finally they agreed. Well, let's put it in the festival circuit. So I could be wrong, but I believe that's the first theatrical Pixar short that debuted in the festival circus or circuit first. I mean, other than like Luxo and those films that were made kind of Year, years before. It was oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> what, did, what did you think about it, Matt? I thought it was great. The storyline was like completely original. I did not expect, you know, like when I, I heard nothing going into it. And then when I saw it, I was really blown away by it. Was there like a certain scene or did, did you animate on that, uh, Austin? Yeah, yeah. I, I animated the shots where uh, the no-no, the grandpa, and uh, uh-huh. papa are kind of arguing over which uh, tool uh, Bambino should should use. And he's kind of looking between them and he kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> holds papa's tool up and it's his mustache and he holds up the broom and it's it's papa's beard. And oh, then, that's cool. Uh, all the way up till the star comes in and they all dive into the crater. But the fun, the fun part about that is uh, researching Italian hand gestures. And um, we, it, it actually, it's not, it may look stereotypical, but we, the director Enrico is Italian. We went to little Italy, like on research trips and we were like checking out how these people gesture. And it's, it's interesting. It's just part of their culture. I think a lot of animators gesture a lot as well. We're, we tend to be very, um, uh, maybe it's that we're poor with words. <laughs> like I'm gesturing <laughs> right now, and I'm on a podcast. It's, it's completely, completely futile, but it helps me communicate. You know, so mm-hmm. it was interesting watching Italians and being and thinking maybe this is like a nation of animators, and they don't even know it. Nice. Yeah, it was very fun. Oh, it was, no. was kind of funny when we went out when I left the theater that night. It it made us think of the the release was timed with the the phase of the moon that night because not to give anything away about the spo- 
about the short, but the moon last night was a crescent moon, and I thought that was funny after watching well, a lot, watching a lot of the... <laughs> I can guarantee it was not. <laughs> yeah, these these releases are plotted out so far ahead of time, and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting actually watching. Um, I think there was just a story that uh, what film was it? Um, something just backed away from Dark Knight Rises because uh, Born Legacy. Uh, was it, yeah, Born Legacy just backed away from Dark Knight Rises, and I, I always love seeing that behind the scenes, the shifting of release dates, and uh, it's kind of sad because it means that there's like a lot of stock being put into opening weekend in particular, when films like, you know, like the two highest grossing films, Avatar and Titanic, didn't have great opening weekends, but they, they had late going and going and going. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can't tell that to like, you know, these these marketing and, and producer types. That's like the same thing that happened with the G.I. Joe sequel that was going to supposed to be coming out this this Friday coming up. And now it's not coming out until March next year. Because Yeah, yeah the rumor there is that it's uh, Channing Tatum. Uh, that they, you know, they always want to blame these things on somebody, right? The first film was just, you know, maybe not the best. And uh, they thought, well, maybe people don't like Channing Tatum. So in the new one, they were going to kill him off like right away. <laughs> And then when, uh, what was it? Um, 21 Jump Street. Yeah, 21 Jump Street and Haywire came out and did really well. They're like, oh, maybe G.I. Joe was just a bad movie. <laughs> and like Channing, Channing Tatum's all right. So they're oh. actually like rewriting him. He doesn't die. Like he's now in like the whole movie. So. Nice. And now he's in Magic Mike. Yeah. Which my What's wife is, is dying to see. Yeah. What's Magic Mike? He's playing a, a male stripper in that movie. That sounds wonderful. It's 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 the, it's the male version of striptease. Is his is his stripper name Channing Tatum? <laughs> oh, oh. Wow. no, that's the that's the that's the the other version of that movie that'll be probably come out around the same day. I'm gonna stop that train of thought, but there's a, there's a few other puns floating around in my mind. <laughs> All right. Once Austin gets started, it's it's almost impossible to show. <laughs> it's a curse. Uh, kind of segueing from there, we're gonna go into the actual feature film of Brave that. As we've already said, it was directed by Mark Andrews, Brenda Chapman, and co-directed by Steve Purcell. Uh, what was what are what were some of you guys' favorite parts of the film? I know you probably have different scenes that your favorites that you animated, but what were your actual favorite parts of the, of the story and favorite characters? Chris, um, hmm, my favorite moment. Uh, wow. Uh, I guess my favorite moment would have to be the, the archery tournament just as a sequence to me. I think it's got, you know, like a great beginning, middle and end, and it's kind of self-sustained and it kind of has like a, it's a, it's kind of a, its own little mini movie, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really entertaining to watch. I mean, I, I've, I can watch it like 10 billion times and still get a lot out of it. Um, so yeah, that's probably my favorite sequence in the movie. My, uh, I'd actually have to piggyback on that. My favorite sequence is the one right after where uh, Merida and Eleanor fight. And they kind of have their, uh, which is uh, Travis Hathaway and Michael Makarovich. Makarovich does Eleanor and Hathaway does uh, uh, Merida. And uh, just really amazing, very sincere, genuine enemies. That's Sorry, that's my phone. I just want to say that's, that's, right. Chris, that's Chua's fault. <laughs> that means it's time for our pop quiz. What did Walt Disney come to Hollywood? Anybody know that answer to that? 1938. 
33. 33. Oh, darn it. Damn it. Yeah, Club, thir- <laughs> yeah, club 33. Yeah, Club 33. Yeah, darn it. I'm gonna you edit. call yourself an animation podcast. I will edit. <laughs> I will edit that part out of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Here, ask me. Ask though. me again. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but so that that sequence, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm good friends with Michael, and and I know we talked a lot about the acting behind that, and and Eleanor, and you know, um, anger is a really tricky thing to portray because you can very easily make the character unlikable or um unrelatable but um a, a, a an anger that comes from a a logical place and you know where the what the character what their perspective is is really dramatic and it really i think that scene to me was the backbone of the movie and you really understand why merida would go to these extreme lengths i mean consulting with a witch is something that it's in a lot of fairy tales but you really have to have to earn the right to like cast a spell on your own mother that you don't even know how it works or what it'll do. You just yeah. know that, well, I'm not going to say anything else, but <laughs> uh, you know, that's something that um, to me comes from that character. I mean, it's kind of like Toy Story again with Woody and Buzz and, and you see that their conflict is based on their personalities and everything else comes from there. Definitely. Uh, like my, one of my favorite parts of the film was there's kind of that scene uh, where Eleanor is talking to uh, King Fergus and uh, Merida's in the, the stable with Angus and mm-hmm. they're essentially having a conversation with each other because of the way it's edited. I, yeah, I just yeah. liked the way it went back and forth with that. It was one of, the, one of my favorite scenes. And, and then I do, I liked that archery sequence as well with the, the one of the last shots of that as you see like the arrow come off of the the bone go past her face and whatnot yeah that was done by by the really talented um aaron caressel actually uh, I, I remember were you there austin when he showed that for the first time in dailies i don't think i was there for that one yeah that i i remember when he showed that it was it was just like oh my god that's it like it's it's ready to go you know it's it, it was just so physical and it's so well observed um i remember too there was a lot of so well. there was a lot of conversations because that 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 sequence cheats uh, because she she loses the arrow in slow motion. Uh-huh. We continue to see it in slow motion, and then uh, when it shoots through um, the uh, the last arrow, it, I think it speeds up right right before it hits the wood. Then we cut back to slow motion. We cut back to Merida, right. and then it speeds up one more time. But you don't feel it, or you know, it's just kind of. You don't notice it, it doesn't pull you out, but it's interesting as for filmmaking students, that's an example. Mark Andrews is all about breaking the rules. He's all about bending the rules as long as it gives you the feeling you need. I know J.J. Abrams is much that way too. So that's an interesting one where it's like, wow, it goes in and out of slow motion, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't strike you as, as odd at all. It just plays to the rhythm of the scene. Yeah. What was, what was your favorite part, Matt? The archery scene was definitely a great sequence. Um, The other favorite that i have in mind it was in the trailer when they were presenting like the suitors um and then uh my favorite was when uh they were they broke out and they just started fighting i think that was hilarious you see like their personalities really come through that was cool yeah that was another great scene uh kind of going off of that what were who was your favorite character in the film uh and no i know picking that well i mean you can pick the obvious choice of merida if you want to but 
besides <laughs> besides Merida, who was one of your favorite characters in the movie? I actually like Dingwall. I think Lord Dingwall is great. Um, he reminds me of uh, Brian Cox a lot. Oh, yeah. He's got that great face and that that little square jowls that are very, uh, very Scottish. Um, so yeah, I would say Dingwall. Uh, Davi Anderson did some great scenes with Dingwall. The uh, feast your eyes when Dingwall le- le- uh, lifts his kilts. <laughs> yeah, he and, did all he did all three lords in that that uh, scene, yeah. didn't he? Yep, yep. That's great. Yeah. And uh, I know that I, I've had some parents talk to me and go, "Did you guys really have to do that? Because now all my kids will do is <laughs> stick their butt at me and say, feast your eyes.'" And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, that was extremely necessary. As a parent you probably deserve that." <laughs> how about you chris oh uh so my favorite was probably fergus i i think is as a character um i only got to animate like a couple of scenes with him um but i i love his design i love his you know his personality i i wish we could have gotten more of of his kind of like boisterousness uh more sequences in the movie um i mean it is what it is now but i i would have I'd be happy to just watch like a whole movie or short just on him. He's just so fun. For my favorite character, I would like to go with the three boys. I think the mischief, the mischiefness of the three, like the characters of those like three, it's like almost one character, the three of them. So mm-hmm. for me, that, that I thought that was great. And that that's another thing that shows how good the animation was, is that they weren't, they didn't even speak in the film and, they kind of steal a lot of the scenes that they're in because of how well the actions they're doing are articulated through like the animation. Mm-hmm. I, those are my son's favorite characters in the movie too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if if they had had blonde hair, I could see all three of them being being my son. <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I liked I liked them, and then I I liked King Fergus too. I thought he was pretty cool. I liked Bill, Billy Connolly doing the voice for him. And thought that was yeah, it's great. funny because you know you look at the character himself, and he's just such a huge guy. And then you look at Billy Connolly, and he's not that big really, but you know it, he's, it just goes to show. Hey, oh, is he? I think he's six. Something. He looks so he looks so lanky though. You know, he's like, like he, yeah. But uh, yeah, you look at him, you're like, man, I I don't know. And then you hear his voice, and you're like. Wow. Okay, that's perfect. Uh, yeah. So I mean, those are our favorite characters and moments. Uh, so we're now we're gonna get into what's part of all Pixar films, the Easter eggs. Uh, the first one. I mean, you don't have to give away where they are. You can just maybe give a hint, maybe where we can find them. I know Matt saw. Oh, do the... we want to do that though? Let's not do that. I think we should right. leave it to the audience. But we'll just say there are Easter eggs, and I did they are, notice they are all there. They're, pro- they're, one, they're probably all in the same area, too, I'm thinking. I, I do have a piece of trivia about an Easter egg that's not in Brave. Right. Um, but I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but the Pizza Planet truck. Yeah. That There is uh, a Pixar film that the Pizza Planet truck is not in. The Incredibles. The Incredibles, right. Which, well, you're... that could have been in that one. Very it's easily. Not... It could have been. Well, I mean, like, I mean... I know it wasn't, but I mean, it could have been, or very easily oh, been. Oh, yeah, like yeah, a... yeah. There's, there's a little blue or yellow blur that uh, people think is the yeah. Pizza Planet truck, but I have a very obsessed friend <laughs> uh, who looked at the un, uh, the the render without motion blur, and it's a little yellow Buick. So, oh, okay. yeah, a little piece of trivia there. No Planet truck in Incredibles. 
until Brad decides to do his George Lucas pass. He will <laughs> never do. And then, <laughs> and then that yellow blur. Never will say be never, man. Come um, on. We, we got to fuel the uh, the internet rumors. <laughs> okay. All right. Coming soon, a possible George Lucas pass at Incredibles. Syndrome will we'll take the red hair out. People don't like redheads. We learned that today. Syndrome <laughs> will have a uh, uh, Mozart, Stark White Mozart do. Doc Brown. Yeah, that's we'll very in now. We will continue trying to please the fans and only make things that is PC and that uh, we know that people like ahead of time. Nice. But yeah, if, if, if some people might not know what the Easter eggs are that are usually in every single one, there's Pizza Planet Truck, the A113, which was the famous Arts classroom, and then there's usually an allusion to the next film, for which for Brave would be Monsters University. So... You guys didn't see them in the movie. Go pay for another ticket. Go watch the movie again. Try to find them. Because I know easier to spot in IMAX and 3D. Because I I was looking for them and I I did not see any of them and I know Matt found one. I did but... see the one Easter egg and it was like a split second on the screen. I'm like, oh my god. And then I leaned to like my girlfriend next to me. I'm like, did you see that? She's like, no. I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> But yeah, so those are Easter eggs. Look out for them. And if you don't find them while you're watching the theaters, when you buy the Blu-ray, pause and look through the entire film to try to find them. If you can't find Blu-ray, buy another version of the Blu-ray. It might be cleaner and clearer on that one. Just keep buying Blu-rays until you find the yes. Easter eggs. Yeah, if you or can't, if you, if you buy the, the 3D Blu-ray. If you go to the theaters and you don't see it, you're probably watching Abraham Lincoln Vampire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I saw that, and I will not. Dude, how was it? I, I enjoyed it, but that's not. I know I'm pro, I'm in the lower consensus of that though, because from what other things I've heard, I I probably enjoyed it because I've always liked Abraham Lincoln, and I know this wasn't gonna be like the, the biopic of Abraham Lincoln that the Spielberg movie is gonna be later this year. I knew it was gonna be Abraham Lincoln fighting vampires, and that's what the movie was. So I wasn't disappointed by that at all. I think this you sounds like, like a, a lunchtime screening, Austin. I think so. Okay. I think we may need to, to lunchtime it. Uh, another thing I liked about it was that uh, there's a like, small cameo from Harriet Tubman in it, which I thought was cool because... Dude, say no more. You had, yeah. had Harriet Tubman. <laughs> <laughs> Harriet Tubman, uh, mummy burner. Nice. That would be awesome. <laughs> that Good. is so awesome. <laughs> like, just listen to that last sentence. Harriet Tubman, yeah. mummy Harriet burner. Tubman was in it. Yeah, because she was in a, an action movie. I always thought, uh, you know, Betsy Ross, I think, could have been an action star. We should go back and, I think, uh, look over a lot of these historical figures and what they could have been. There's a bunch of, like, posters that people made for, like, all their films, like where it was Thomas Jefferson, the, I don't know, the Werewolf Slayer or something like that. But, yeah, I was bringing up Harry Tubman just because... knockoff will be something very similar. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, Harry Tubman's from Auburn, New York, where both Matt and I grew up. So I, that was why I thought that was so cool in that movie. But not maybe not that many other people might think that's cool. But so we have access to the Harriet Tubman house where we can actually film a Harriet Tubman mummy movie. There you go. Dude, I challenge talk, you. Let's not talk about Brave anymore. Let's just talk about Vampire Hunter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm being serious about this. <laughs> or make a spinoff with with Merida where she kills vampires. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a weird segue from that, going into the 
going to the the music, I thought I really liked all the the music in the Soma score by Patrick Doyle, and then the music from Mumford and Sons, and can't think of her name off the top of my head, but the, the Julie Fowles. Yeah, Julie Fowles, the Gaelic music in that movie, I yes. thought was great too. I really liked the one sequence, uh, "Touch the Sky," where like Merida's shooting all the arrows, and that's playing over. I thought that sequence was great too. I, yeah, I just downloaded the soundtrack today. I know those songs uh, we're particularly proud of because they were actually written by Alex Mendel, who works at Pixar. Nice. And they were originally just supposed to be temp songs, like totally temporary tracks, but um, they were just they were amazing. Uh, the I think a lot of those too are the original artists that they got to. Um, you know, uh, do the, you know, do the music, they brought in other bands to try to re re-record them. And it was just, they, the other bands were just trying to make too much of them and add too many instruments. And ultimately, you know, you want to strip it down and make it about the emotion and the characters and, and just, just the instruments that need to be there and not to distract from the vocals. Uh, so yeah, we were really excited. Uh, when Alex's work kind of went all the way to the, to the big screen. I, oh yeah, I liked the the Mordu song too. That's what that King Fergus sings. That oh was... yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> That's one of my scenes. Nice. Again, it's all about Austin. It is. You know uh, I'm on a list, Chris. <laughs> Top six of all time, Chris. That there's a lot of scenes out there, man. I, I will have to bow down and defer to Austin. I will say though that the uh, the animation I did in that scene is out of focus and in the background, but nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Still learning exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then kind of going from that, uh, what are some, some maybe stories from while you guys were animating the film that kind of stand out in your mind that not everybody might know? Any stories, Juan? Uh, just in terms of during production? Yeah. Uh, to me, the, the thing that always stick with me was when um, uh, we started doing Kill Fridays and we had this, we did this whole thing where just like the Lords, you know, how they kind of file into the, the hall uh, in the movie and present themselves. Yeah. Well, uh, Austin kind of did something similar where he let us in and we were kind of in, you know, a big clan and we had a bag, we had hired a bagpiper to lead us into dailies. So it was this whole big surprise of, you know, the, the crew had already been working on it for a while and, we were kind of like a second wave um, coming in and, and we're like, man, wouldn't it be great if we dressed in kilts and we started Kilt Fridays and let's get a bagpiper too. So we waited till the dailies kind of actually started and then we were like, okay, let's do it. And we had the bagpiper, you know, kind of walk through the atrium and we all kind of marched behind them and walked into dailies like full blast with this bagpiper just going full, full bore. Um, and kind of introduced ourselves as a clan that was going to come and help finish the, the film. So that, that'll always stick with me. And, yeah, you know, from there, from there yeah. on out, it was just like every Friday, you know, we'd <laughs> wear our kilts. And, uh, you know, after a while, a couple of people would drop off here and there. Oh, just, man. What are you doing, man? Where's your kilt? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a real, like, uh, pride in it. And it really was yeah. kind of like this little, this clan. And, uh, uh, a few people hopped on and a few people bought kilts and it was really cool to see, you know, the pride that was taken in that, you know, they always say with acting, you know, you, uh, you really figure out the character when you get the costume 
And for us, it was just like a source of camaraderie and it was a source of, you know, like taking pride in these characters and this culture. And uh, yeah, it was fun. And, you know, you uh, when you have to shop for a sporn, you have to like get the, get the tall socks and everything like that. You really see uh, how unique of a, of a culture you're dealing with. And, and I certainly would love to hear how, how it's received in Scotland. You know, I know that, uh, uh, that we had a lot of Twitter followers and stuff who were to it so you know it's definitely we did our research and i i hope they enjoy it cool uh speaking of that how how comfortable are kilts just in case anybody's <laughs> interested in buying a kilt they're extremely comfortable they're very free they're a very manly god and did you did, not to get too personal did you wear, wear them traditionally the traditional scottish way or i believe it's called uh, uh what is it called regulation yeah i think that's between us and our wool, though, sir. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you know why the Scottish wear kilts? I do not. It is so that when God looks down on us, he can be proud, and when the devil looks up, he can be afraid. <laughs> oh, nice. I like that. Very nice. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Matt ask you the next few questions. All right, so um, on working on any of the shots that you animated, did you uh, what type of reference material um, did you look up? Did you have like uh, specific movies that you were referencing, or what did you guys uh, do for research? Chris, yeah, I take that first, Austin. Or... Yeah, I'll do, I'll take that. Um, there is a uh, uh, a wee bit of a fight scene that you see Fergus. Uh, involved in uh, he's actually involved in a couple little skirmishes and uh, we actually choreographed those and um, shot reference of ourselves uh, we could have easily looked at you know other sword fighting and other little battles and other movies but we thought this is a chance to get outside and wield swords at each other so that's exactly what we did <laughs> did and, you have like uh, any type of instructors well a lot of us are actually uh, well Mark our director was our instructor He's he's been sword fighting for years now um and the head of story brian larson is uh also sword fights with him uh, and a few of us have taken like stage combat classes and stuff like that so um we at least had like a basic level of knowledge uh so we really kind of got to contribute and there's actually a character this old man who's fighting with fergus just kind of sparring and he hits fergus's leg with a sword and gets thrown against the weapon rack and that's me <laughs> that was my piece of we actually have like footage of mark mark was fergus obviously mark is the most experienced so um yeah it was fun we just spent a whole day out there just sort of fighting and, and figuring out what this little uh three on one fight would be oh very cool. and and for for me personally i i uh the but bulk of the scenes that I got to animate were um, Eleanor and the Lords. Um, and I, I loved working with Eleanor. So I, the, I, I looked actually at a lot of uh, Downton Abbey. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the show, but there's a lot of uh, Victorian um, kind of really elegant women on that show. And I, I looked a lot at characters on that show to, to inform the acting that I had. And uh, also, um, watching you know the Emma Thompson uh, lip lipstick cams when she'd be in her recording sessions. I mean, she's such a great actress that uh, a lot of times you can get a lot of uh, inspiration just just watching her uh, performance. So nice, very cool, very cool. Um, so was there like a, a favorite scene that you worked on, um, Austin? 
yeah, I, uh, like I was saying, I, I animated that little scene where Fergus is kind of dancing and, and singing his song about Mordu the Bear, and so that was kind of fun, getting to do a little Scottish, I think what's called sword dancing, and it's usually before a battle, Scotsmen will lay their sword down and dance around it. And it's kind of that sort of thing you usually see where it's like they're hopping from one foot to another and they have their, their arms up. And the way that works is that if you can dance like that and not touch your sword, you'll have good fortune in battle. And uh, so I thought since that's a kind of like a battle, very manly Scottish dance, that I would give that to Fergus. And it's fun for him because he has a, a peg leg. So you get to really not only go from one leg to another, but you can use one leg to pivot. And that was really fun to kind of play around with. You know, as an animator, you're always looking for what are the limitations of your character and how can you use those to your advantage to make a scene funnier or more character-specific. And mm-hmm. that was a good uh, good opportunity for me. Yeah, for, cool. for me personally, it was uh, the, the witch shots where she's at the cauldron and she's kind of stirring the spoon and looks at it and throws it over and puts the, the, uh, the what do you call the the shield the welder's mask on oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah 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 the, which ironically for me was like one of the first shots i got in the film and then um uh through all the the story and director change i kind of came back to it at the very very end so those were my last shots uh that i finished up and also my very first when they were like okay we're retooling the film and the the witch sequence is kind of gonna have to be you know, we, we're still not sure what we're going to do, but, you know, that scene ended up just staying in the film. And by the end of uh, our, you know, the of animation, that was the last shot I got back. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like full circle. You know, I, I started in <laughs> yeah. 2000. I started in 2009 uh, in November uh, uh, and ended up finishing it around January or February of 2011. So. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, cool. So, um, segueing into my next question, is there any scenes that, um, like another animator got, or just any scenes that you wish like you could have animated, or that you think that could be like fun? I, uh, I think uh, anything with Fergus would have been fun. Um, <laughs> I think that one of the scenes that was totally. mentioned earlier, where, um you know, uh, uh, Eleanor and, and Meredith are having their conversation and, and um, that scene starts out with Fergus kind of imitating Merida. Uh, it's a beautiful <laughs> piece of animation by Dan Nguyen. I mean, I say I would have animated, I would have loved to have animated that, but there's no way I can match what Dan did. So at the same time, it's like, oh, I would never want to see a different version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been fun to handle some more do. You know, he's so kind of monstrous. That would have been really interesting. Um, but yeah, so anything with Fergus or Murdu would have been just a blast. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I totally wish I just got more Fergus shots, but um, it, it was just, it kind of co- just comes down to casting. It's like you do a, a shot pretty well, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's more of this character. And, um, you know, I, I totally loved working on, on my Eleanor and, and Lord's shots, and they're, they're super fun too, but uh, I totally wish I would have gotten more uh, Fergus. Cool. Uh, I guess kind of to to be the to end this thing. I had one other thought about the movie is that it had a lot of CG uh, butts in there. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I think it's definitely it, it might be 
might get a Guinness World Record for having the most CG butts in a film. I think it's the only... CG I want to say the only CGS in a... At least in a Pixar film. <laughs> I don't know about anything else. And there's certainly a few of them. <laughs> no, isn't there a CGS in Beowulf? There is. With, yeah, with, probably. Uh, uh, with Angelina Jolie. Well, there's a there's CGS not. in all the Shrek films. Oh, yeah. And you get a little wow. bit of CG crack in the, the lifted short, too, when he's getting pulled out the window. That's a crack. That's yeah. a coin <laughs> Yeah, okay. You know... <laughs> But I'd like to I'd like to see somebody do a fan video from the scene from Nemo, where it's the the four kids going to touch the quote unquote butt mixed with the the butt footage yes. from Brave. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, uh, wanted to thank you guys again for coming on the show. Uh, Absolutely. Don't forget, guys, you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M A R C V I B B E R T. And I am uh, Questpack, Q-U-E-S-T-P-A-C-T. Or Austin at... Munchanka, M-U-N-C-H-A-N-K-A. And Chris at... ChrisChua007 at Twitter. And then you can also follow the show at Animated Podcast. Um, We have a Cafe Press site now, too, so if you guys want to buy any cool shirts with our... Brand new logo on it, done by Mr. Austin Madison. You can check that out. I put a logo in there. I mean, not a logo, a link. Uh, another word that begins with an L. Uh, again, you can feel free to email us at Animation Fascination Podcast and be that first person ever to email us. Uh, visit our, yeah. Uh, and then you can visit our site at animationfascination.wordpress.com. Um, I'm Mark Vibbert, so for myself, Matt Quest, Chris Chua, and Austin Madison, thank you guys for listening, and make sure to tune in again next time. Cheers, guys. Adios. Slancha. Slancha.